You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I would like to welcome you to this episode of Inflow with Soul. Jessica Crean is... Um, I'm going to let her explain the chaos theory and the, and the gamification. But I, what I want to say is how I came across uh, Jessica. I It was a pop-up on YouTube. Here's a suggested uh, video for you. And when I watched it, and because chaos theory isn't something that I would ever be drawn to, right? So when I watched the video, he, here's what I heard. I heard that... We live in a world of chaos, and oftentimes we want to wrangle in that chaos and align it and, and make things more rulesy uh, for us. And when I hear that, to me, that is similar to what our egos, uh, what I understand our egos do for us, is keep us safe, keep us comfortable, keep us within these parameters. Um, but then I, she talks about play and how play opens us up and talks about how play is really getting in, um, getting outside of those rules and more into who we really can be. So that's my takeaway. I'm not sure if I'm on point or not, Jessica, but I am excited to be talking to you today about this so that I know more about it and that we can learn how to apply this theory of chaos to our business lives and what can we do with that? How can we help, how can this help us be a better uh, entrepreneur? So thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here and you're very on point. Okay, okay, thank you. So tell me a little bit about, um, in our warm up here this afternoon, I had mentioned that I understand what chaos is. I think we all understand what chaos is, but for some reason, when I, I see the theory of chaos, I wonder, are we talking about something else that I'm not familiar with? So let's just kind of get some ground uh, vocabulary here. What, what's the theory of chaos? Yeah, they are definitely different things. Um, okay. And So the theory of chaos or chaos theory is uh, mathematical and a scientific term. And it's talking about a very specific concept within the scientific world, which is this theory of chaos, which is this idea basically that there is an underlying pattern to things that appear to be patternless. So one of the classic examples is um, like a water faucet that is dripping water. Mm -hmm. And it appears to be random. There doesn't seem to be an exact moment in which, you know, like sometimes it's like plunk, plunk, and then sometimes it's plunk, plunk. 
And so it seems random, but if you look really deeply into it, you can find that there are actually patterns at play there. The way that the water falls affects the way that the next droplet forms in such a way that there is actually a pattern there. So it's really about looking for the underlying patterns. Okay. Like chaos, of course, in the colloquial sense, in the way that we feel chaos in our bodies mm -hmm. is, is patternless or it feels like there is just, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to ground us. Mm -hmm. So in essence, it is sort of uh, the chaos without the theory is what we feel. And what yeah. chaos theory does is show us that underlying pattern. Interesting. Okay. So let me get, just make sure I understand this. So we're all feeling, we all feel chaos. We all know what that feels like, but the theory of chaos is really telling us that underneath what feels super uncomfortable, there is a pattern. Yes. Yeah, and it's looking for things that that applies to. Um, so like ferns, for instance, in a lot of nature, there are, uh, you can look at it through the lens of chaos theory because they are they are what we call fractals or what scientists would call fractal, um, meaning that the whole represents the smaller version of it. And the smaller version represents the whole. Um, seashells are another example. Everything that looks at little spiral pattern in nature is almost always a fractal. And so that fits into chaos theory also. There are just patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns within patterns, and we just have to know what to look for in order to find them. And what are we able to do when we find a pattern? I think when we find a pattern, we can stick with it or break it. Okay. So it's basically kind of discovering what are the rules that created this chaos? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What are the rules that, that created the feeling of chaos or the impression of chaos? Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So then continue a little bit about your work with chaos and, and how this leads into play. So I am not a chaologist. It's one of my favorite terms. I just love that there are chaologists in the world, people who study chaos for a living. Um, but I had no familiarity with it before I started doing research. I'm an artist and I'm a performer and a game designer. And the impetus for me was the 2016 election. Um, I just had this, it would, that period of time was so chaotic for everyone. I think there was this feeling of patternlessness um, that was so pervasive in the world. And I had, I had also just lost my father right before the election. And so there was this personal chaos laid on top of the societal chaos and it just felt exponentially more chaotic. And so I was feeling this, this weight of it. Thinking that I was either either this feeling of chaos was going to destroy me, mm -hmm. or I was going to find a way to make it empowering, and okay. so I started looking into uh, what what is chaos in our world and how could it possibly be empowering, and that led me to chaos theory and this realization that there are patterns okay. to things that we call chaos, and so that as an artist is like juicing material. There's so much to dig into there about what it means to have patterns in our lives and what it means to break them. And so that's how it started. And then I developed this, this immersive theater piece. Uh, so this, this interactive theater piece that is inviting to, to audience members to come and play through their chaos. And so I play a chaologist and her name is Dr. Sayak. And uh, she walks the audience through essentially a series of experiments that look at the world, their real feelings of chaos in the world through the lens of chaos theory. And in doing so, the, the goal is to be able to transform those feelings of chaos into an empowering experience. So not to negate the fact that they are chaotic, but to say that this is this chaos can be great for us. And what does that look like? Give me an example of what one of these, uh, is it a skit, would you say? Or this performance? Mm -hmm. I would say it's a, yeah, it's a full performance. Um, it is like, a, it's 
a 75 minute piece. There's a digital and a live version now. And uh, so one of the examples is um, the very first experiment that audience members are invited to play through if they want to. It's all, you know, it's all opt-in because it can be really scary to participate in things. And so uh, the players are asked to do a very simple task, which is to draw a circle, but not just any circle, the world's best circle. And so on top of that goal, that macro level goal, that very orderly goal, they have to choose a role for themselves. And so they have four different roles to choose from. And one of them is to make sure the circle gets drawn at all costs. Another is to make sure the circle gets, does not get drawn at all costs. A third they can choose is to claim as much credit as possible while doing the least amount of work on the circle. And then the fourth would be to seduce everyone in their group and in the room at large. And so individually, they're making those choices, which will inevitably conflict with other people's choices. Absolutely. So that orderly goal suddenly becomes this uh, experience of embodied chaos for everyone in the experiment. And it's all just a look at uh, what we call sensitivity to initial conditions, which it comes directly from chaos theory and is just saying that the way that we set things up initially can diverge in a million different ways. And this is how that looks. So it becomes an experiment in that as do many other experiments in the piece. And people have done crazy things. Like we, you know, people will eat the paper and run off with it and tear it up. And I mean, we've seen, oh gosh, we've seen all kinds of things. Yeah. So tell me then about the artist experiment. So now we've got this group, we've got these roles that we're playing. Does the circle ever come, come to be? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes circles come to be. Yeah. It is rare, I'll say that, yeah, but it does happen. Amazing. And do the players know what the other roles the other people are choosing or? Not ahead of time. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's a very like three, two, one experiment. Okay. So they have this experience, they have to draw the greatest circle in the world, they have these roles and then they go to work. Yes. What happens next? Uh, and then they they will have to try to enact that role. And it is, uh, people take it very seriously. I mean, it's a certain type of person who opts in pretty much cold to the first game in a piece. So it is very right. self-selecting. Right. Um, but those are the people who are going to, they're essentially paving the way for the rest of the audience. Like it is all very structured in that way. That um, And that's something I take very seriously in the piece is modeling behavior. It's really hard to see what is possible from nothing. And so being able to watch others do something and say, ah, that's how that thing looks. Here's how it might look for me is really valuable. So those first, uh, first, uh, essentially like first adopters of the game play a significant role in the piece in being able to invite others to be playful within the the rest of the piece as well. So that's, that's just the first experiment. And then there are, you know, half a dozen others that follow and, and they each are, you know, varying degrees of interactivity and varying degrees of inviting people to bring their core selves to the piece. And as that's all happening, there it is woven into this narrative of the character that I play, this chaologist, Dr. Sayak, and how chaos has um, manifest in her life as, uh, particularly as a female scientist, and what it's like to be one of the few female scientists in the, in the world, in her world, studying chaos theory, um, and the credit that she does and does not get in relation to her male collaborators and all of that is done through narrative and gameplay so all of it asks players to be culpable in in um in essentially being part of her journey wow 
And again, I think there's a, a lot of overlap between that character's experience and experiences that women may have as they're building their business. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she is an entrepreneur and she's an innovator. And uh, she, her male colleagues get lauded and um, win awards for thinking outside the box. And she does not. She gets punished repeatedly. And so part of the piece is watching her realization that that has happened um, and that the world isn't as fair as she thought it was because she's a scientist and she thought the rules applied. Of course. They don't. They apply differently. Divergence. Yeah. What a powerful piece. How long have you been uh, doing this performance? Uh, A little over two years now. Uh-huh. which I never expected, uh, but it's just, it continues to be applicable. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So what is it then that the feedback that you get from your audience members, what do they come away with from this experience? A lot of them come away with very specific realizations of um, of what their, what their patterns currently are and what they want to break. One of my favorite uh, concepts in chaos theory is this idea of strange attractors. And so these, these things that we are drawn to and um, are the things that the world is drawn to, but in the piece, it becomes this question of what are we as individuals drawn to? What are we strangely attracted to? And so sometimes we know what those things are. And sometimes we, uh, we turn away from what those things are. It's so easy to say that we're not, you know, we're not really that attracted to something. We're like, okay, well, yeah, I kind of want to, you know, climb a mountain one day, but you know, one day, yeah. but we still keep saying it to ourselves over and over again. And so what happens when we actually shine a light on those strange attractors, those things that keep coming up in our lives that we've been ignoring for whatever reason or pushing aside for whatever reason. And so if we, if we name them and say, these are our strange attractors, and then we suddenly have this ability to say like, ah, yes, uh, to do this thing would bring chaos to my life. It would upend my whole life to do this. Right. And it would upend it in a way that I think I want, but I'm afraid. Of course. So a lot of the piece is then sort of devoted to what we do with those strange attractors and what we do we really want to upend our lives in this way and how can we empower ourselves to sort of take the first steps to be able to do that. So the feedback that I get often is that that people do those things. Um, so okay. we've, you know, we'll get, I'll get messages from people saying like, oh yeah, you know, I finally got that tattoo I wanted. We've had, I think three people have gotten tattoos after the show at this point that I know of. Right, um, right. Or people have contacted folks that they hadn't talked to in over three years or um, they've, you know, reconnected with old family members. They've started businesses. They've picked up and finished art projects that sat on the shelf for two years. One person started his own business and got a board of directors within a month. So like, I think for some folks who are, who are open to that experience and ready for that kind of transformation, the feedback we get is that just naming those things is wildly useful and providing a framework for, for achieving them. So we're naming those things that we are strangely attracted to. Yeah. And then as we name them, they they start to come to us more quickly, it sounds like. Yeah. And part of the structure of the piece is pairing people up or putting them into groups to be able to talk about those things a little bit and or to say them out loud. One of the things we do, so it's all kinds of spoilers here, but one of the things we do is, um, you know, one person will name a strange attractor and then the other one will just give them like the world's best pep talk in 30 seconds to ensure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they absolutely do that thing, which is insane. Of course, like that's, you know, way too high a bar, but if you set the bar at, you know, a 20, then you're going to get, you know, pep talks that hit that 10 for sure. Exactly. 
That sounds amazing. So tell me now how play comes into this, because that's one, again, one of the things I took away from um, your TED talk was how play can be an antidote to this feeling of um, chaos and being ungrounded. I guess that, to me, that's kind of chaos. I don't feel connected to anything. I feel ungrounded. And um, I some I have struggled with play. I'm getting better at it, but it has been a struggle for me. So for me, play is chaos as well, right? It creates that feeling of chaos within me. So tell me a little bit of how play can be, an, what do you mean by play? And then how can that be an antidote to this chaos feeling? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, a lot, I think a lot of people feel that way, that play is really scary. And it is because play is uncertainty. Right. Chaos is uncertainty too. You know, they are sort of one in the same like that. And so I think that for me as a game designer is really interesting because play is to embrace uncertainty. Play is to say there are obstacles in place that we don't know how to solve and we're just going to figure it out. Like that is a playful attitude. It's not that there are no obstacles or that what we're doing is frivolous. It's just that we haven't figured it out yet. There's no map for it. And I think what games often do is provide rule sets. They provide order to the chaos that comes up specifically regarding play. You know, like what, you know, you can set kids off to do, to just go play and they'll just be like, okay, here's how we play. And right. they'll just figure it out immediately because they, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Right. But as adults, you know, we get a little more structured and then game helps us, game structures help us because they provide just enough constraint that allows us to be playful in the face of obstacles. And those obstacles are generally in sort of a make-believe world. And what I'm looking at is how we take those structures and apply them to our actual worlds. Right. Yeah. So let me go back to one thing here. Um, I wrote down chaos and play seems to be two sides of the same coin. Is that a fair analogy? Yeah, I think so. Because there is, there's uncertainty on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um Chaos is really, to me, it's kind of a mindset. It's almost being, I'm already defeated. This is too much. I'm, I'm already defeated. Play is kind of taking that approach of, wow, this is, what can we do here? This is a hot mess. Yes, yes, like that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Play is like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't wait to figure it out. Exactly. And chaos is, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm terrified. Of right, fighting. right. So, the, and the other thing that I thought of as you were describing um, bringing games and play into this and telling, specifically telling kids to go play is that if, when you do tell, especially young kids, like, um, you know, not toddlers, but early elementary age, as soon as they go play together, they start making rules together, right? This is how we do this, or this is how we do that. And you always have the bossy one and you always have the one that's more compliant and all of those kinds of things. But even as kids go play, they start creating rules as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to be in a space without hierarchy. It's really hard. It's really hard to maintain that also. So in order to sort of have the freedom to embrace a role to, yeah. uh, and to be playful within that role, even kids need to know where they stand. You know, like, am I the mom? Am I the dog here when we're playing house? Right. Because once I know who I am, then I can start making choices and really owning this space. And so knowing what our roles is, is immensely valuable, even if we don't necessarily have a goal for the play. We're not trying to get anywhere necessarily, but we know who we are within that play space. 
well, and that's just a powerful statement anyway, right? Just knowing who, knowing who I am so that I can make decisions based on the role that I'm playing. Yeah. I mean, most of us, I mean, and I'll speak for myself, like, it's not been that long that I really know who I am, right? Yeah. I mean, that's been, and I'm still trying to figure it out, right? I don't that think we ever great. say it is. <laughs> but um, I'm finally to the point where I, I think I, I have an inkling, right, of, of who I am. And, and once those pieces started clicking in for me, it was easier to make decisions. I knew who, who I wanted to talk to. When I decided that women entrepreneurs was going to be the group that I wanted to serve, that just like, all of a sudden, there's so much clarity yeah. about it because I knew who I was. Okay. So going back, though, so we've got chaos and play, two, two sides of the same coin. And even within play, so if we're going to choose play as the, the route we want to take, we still need some sort of structure. Is that right? Yes. I think at a certain point, structure is going to evolve, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So tell me then, if you can... How, because I know how to take the chaos route, you know, the chaos <laughs> route of this is too much and I don't know what to do. What can you tell me about taking the play route? What kind of rules do I should know who I am? But then beyond that, what other structures are helpful so that I can stay in a playful space rather than sliding back into my default uh, disempowered state? Yeah, the, what a great question. I think it's, I think it's different for everyone and it's different depending on what stage you're at and, you know, like your personhood at that moment. But generally speaking, I think for me, I allow myself a lot of time for orders to, or for structures to evolve. Okay. Um, and so like that for me is a, a way of, of expressing, uh, of expressing obstacles playfully. Okay. And so I will, I will not set myself too many hard and fast rules to begin with when I want to be playful about an obstacle in my life. Okay. So sort of a recent example of that for me is uh, I, I take New Year's resolutions very seriously. I have for the last few years. It's totally arbitrary, but for me, it's a great check-in for you know, like, what do I, how do I want to upend my life right now? <laughs> how do I want to invite chaos into my 2021? Mm -hmm. and, and so that is, that for me requires a system. Because mm -hmm. otherwise I won't get the big things done that I want to get done. And that's a big, that's a big goal for me is to be able to accomplish the big things that scare me. Mm -hmm. And so I fought the urge this year to, to rush it and to say, okay, on January 1st, I'm just going to have them. I'm going to set them and it's going to be done. And I'm going to be ready to go for the rest of the year. And I'm still sitting with it a week later. I'm still sitting there thinking, okay, here's what I know now. So here's this thing that I know now and I'm actually shifting into this role and here's what this looks like. And I'm taking time to enjoy solving the puzzle. Yeah. And so taking off that sort of arbitrary time constraint, it's, it's a luxury I have, right? Because it's not a deadline for, yeah. for work. But I think giving myself that time to enjoy the process of doing that um, has been immensely valuable. And then I'm constantly checking in with myself to say, all right, am I procrastinating? Uh, is this going to be another two weeks? No, I'm going to like set myself like now I feel like I can set myself a deadline of, you know, three more days to play. Mm -hmm. And so then it just becomes this joyful question of like, what's driving me? What passions are driving me? Uh, where do I feel excited about uncertainty in my life? And where am I feeling afraid? And if I'm feeling afraid somewhere, then that's when I check in with myself and say, all right, how do I make this thing joyful and playful? 
Um, and sometimes that's setting new structures and sometimes it's setting a new mindset that, okay, I'm not going to get over this fear until I just like convince myself for the next 10 minutes that I love this thing. <laughs> right. so inventing all these little mini games to make myself love things that I otherwise would fear. And so you, you just give us an, an example um, of how you use that managing your uh, expectations, I, I think is what I heard. Um, and time being a, a big part of our expectations. Uh, and that resonates with me as well. Um, you know, I'm at the beginning stages of developing my business too. And what I heard in your story is basically some validation that I have continued to, to refine who I am. So it's no wonder that and I'm, it's not even about the results. Like I want results, of course, but it's that feeling of, of being in that chaos, right? If I don't know who I am, I'm, I'm always spinning. And as I change who I am, I think part of me says, well, you shouldn't be changing, right? You decided that this is who you were. Just stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a, something I heard from my parents, right? right. <laughs> stick with it, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> we had very opposite parents. Mine were like, you can do whatever you want, sweetheart, whenever you want. Everything is mutable. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, giving yourself the space and the time and then coming back to asking yourself that question, what am I afraid of? Yeah. Um, and then the play part, if I'm understanding you correctly, is kind of mind games with yourself. Uh, if this is what I'm afraid of, how can I make this playful? Or how can I, like you said, pretend like I'm the best person in the whole wide world about this topic or this skill set, right? What would happen if I pretended to be that role? Yeah, there's there's a levity that play can bring to those individual moments that that fear would creep in. Um, so I think I, I have, a, as, as you probably know from watching the TED Talk, I have this fear of dinosaurs. I've had it since I was five years old. I just saw Jurassic Park way too young and was like, oh, that is a world that is dangerous and I don't understand it. And there's nothing those people could do but die. It was just a lot for a five-year-old to take in. Yeah. And, uh, and so now I've sort of had to transform that fear into something more playful in my life. And so I think, all right, if I'm going to die by Velociraptor, then I better have like done some good things before that happens. So now, you know, if I'm looking at uh, whether or not I'm taking meaningful risks in my life, I'm still asking myself this question, you know, like, what would I do if a velociraptor entered the room right now? You know, like, would I wish that I had taken this risk? And so then it's not a question of, you know, who am I and like, what is my purpose in life and all of these deep and useful questions, but really it's this gut check. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, am I, am I playing or not? Am I taking myself too seriously or am I willing to actually play with my own life <laughs> in, in positive ways? Of course, of course. Again, being the two sides of the same coin, right? And, and I think play, and, and I'm going to speak for myself here. But uh, there's this connotation of play that is for children, right? And that is frivolous. I think I heard you use that word earlier in this call. Um, and to me, I, I think that really diminishes the value of this whole mindset of being playful. And I think one of the other things, too, that comes into this, this world of play is what, where's failure? What does failure mean when I'm in a world of play? I know what it means in the world of chaos. But 
tell me a little bit about your theory about what does failure mean in the context of play? Failure is the best. <laughs> failure is amazing. Yeah. Failure says, you know, like good for you for trying something. Yeah. Like that is a success. That is a huge success. For me, the biggest failure is to not take chances. Yeah. Um, and to, to stagnate, but like, again, that's based on my own experiences. I think it's a little different for everybody, but for me, like that is, that is confronting my number one fear. Um, and so for me, taking risks is a thing to always, always be lauding as long as they are, you know, risks in, in, in positive and playful directions. And so failure is always success <laughs> in to some degree. Um, and so I think like having that there, well, there's this great saying in, uh, in game design, it comes from game design. It's just called fail faster and it's made its way into the world in a number of ways. Fail forward is another way that it comes forward. Um, but I love that phrase. It's just this idea that, you know, you just fail as fast as you can so that you can get to those successes, uh, you know, faster. And it forces us, I think, to take failure a little less seriously, that it's not, you know, you as a human did not fail. You as a human experimented. Right. And good on you for doing that. Not only good on you, good for everyone. Everyone gets to learn from that. And then it just progresses the world further, faster. And so I think, I think failure is highly underrated. And I think there's, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, people and organizations now who really embrace it. And I think that's so exciting. It just is such a beautiful part of the process. Yeah, because I think that the whole fear of failure for myself is one of the things that keeps me from playing. It right? implies permanence. Yeah. And and it's not even play. I realized that even as I that came out of my mouth, that if I'm afraid of failure, I'm not playing. If I'm afraid of failure, I'm over in the chaos side of the coin. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's um there's another really great quote uh that's uh if those those who must play cannot play. Uh, it's from this book, Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Kars. And I just love that saying that if you must do something, if you are being forced to do something, then it is work. Yeah. But if you are opting in, if you are choosing this thing, if you're walking in with your eyes open and your head held high, yeah. then you can play with this thing. And then it becomes that you have agency within it. You have the ability to change it. And that means that failure isn't permanent because you can change it. You can grow from those things. Absolutely. Wow. Again, I, I, I'm so excited to have this conversation because talking about chaos and, and, you know, especially when you add the theory of in front of it and applying that to our daily lives and, and how we're building our businesses and, and who we are. It, I love bringing in those diverse uh, perspectives to our experience. So um, I love what this whole concept about con uh, chaos and play being the same coin, just two different perspectives. Um, and how play then can help be an antidote or it's a, an option. It's an option to chaos for us. Yeah, absolutely. So before we close today, what I would like to hear from you um, is how do you restore yourself? How do you play? Whew, what a beautiful question. Um, I read. I think reading, reading is an important part of my play practice. Okay. It just it's like, okay, here's a whole world mm -hmm. and your mind gets to imagine that world and you're in conversation with this other mind. And, and so that gives me, and I can take it at my own pace. I think conversations with uh, people who challenge me do the same thing. They feel very playful to me. Um, but with books, especially 
there's, I can just pause things and like let my mind drift and let it be challenged and let it explore other aspects of the world that I hadn't considered and really engage with sort of like deep philosophical questions um, that that writer, other writers put forth. And so that's been an important part of my practice, I think, is just taking my time with books. Mm-hmm. And again, I hear you say taking your time mm-hmm. and not rushing through. Yeah. Um, can you rush through play? I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. I think to a degree, I think it depends a little on like your natural pace, but yeah, I think to rush through play is to sort of choose, choose busyness over engagement. Yeah. It feels like there's somewhere I have to be or something that I have to do. It's not about being in the moment if I'm rushing through it. Right. The exception I might make would be like speed chess or something. Sure. That seems like you can engage like a playful a playful, very fast, playful mentality. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think it's possible, but I think largely like play can, play can also unfold at a slower pace. And even, even if we're playing a speed chess, it doesn't, that kind of chaos is a playful, I would say a playful chaos versus that heavy, I can't do this kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless your life is on the line when you're playing chess, then yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, then that's chaos right. <laughs> for me, especially because I'm terrible at it. Oh, same. <laughs> yeah, I just want to like tell stories about the chess pieces. Right. I don't want to strategize. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jessica, this has really been, it has met and exceeded my expectations. I love this conversation. You have been an absolute joy to conversate and, and uh, teach about these concepts Um And I'm really taking away some gems here for myself that um, will help me stay in that playful mindset, or at least acknowledge when I'm not in that playful mindset. And for me at this point, if that's as far as I get, I'm okay with that too. Oh yeah. Baby steps, playful baby steps. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there anything else? Tell me a little bit about where people can find you um, and what you have to offer. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, that second one is a big question. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> can answer the first one easily. Right? Okay. Um, yeah, I run a, a small game and immersive experience studio called I Can't Koan Games, and that's uh, it's a deep philosophical pun which I am constantly in between apologizing for and loving. Um, but it's also just uh, this sort of play on the rationality of many philosophers like Immanuel Kant and the irrationality and beauty of open-ended play of koans. And so, uh, so yeah, have fun with that one. Okay. Um, but that is, uh, you can find me there at ICantKoan.com, which is I-K-A-N-T-K-O-A-N.com. And I'm on all the social media at ICantKoan as well. Wonderful. Well, I, I hope everyone checks you out. I'm really excited about this uh, performance. You said it's also virtual now? Yes. Yeah. Our next shows are coming up in either February or March. We're in the process of schedule changing now. That's fantastic. All right, Jessica, again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mary. It's been a pleasure on my end as well. Very much so. Thank you. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes 
But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.